So tonight I'd like to reflect upon the theme of finding peace in stillness and in movement. So when you hear those two words, stillness <laughs> and movement, do you have a preference in this moment? Let's should we do a little survey. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have to be your definitive, all-abiding answer for all times, because it changes, right? Um, in this moment... And I'm, you know, there's many, many different levels and types. So there's, you know, there's outer movement, outer stillness. There's inner movement, inner stillness at various levels. But just as a kind of gut resp- response to the word, if you like, you're allowed to abstain. Um, who's up for stillness at the moment? <laughs> Thank you. Who's up for movement at the moment? <laughs> who's abstaining? <laughs> Or both, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Who's, who's kind of uh, equal? In a certain way. Okay. <laughs> and they can appear like two, really two different things, and that's what I want us to, me to examine, us <coughs> to examine tonight. So we're aware on the external level of outer movement, right? We don't have to go far along the street or into this world or into a town or a into our house, turn on the telly, outer movement, there's, there's a lot of it, right? This, this life, this animated life seems to move, and not only that, that movement seems to get faster and faster in this modern world. And there can be outer stillness that we can also encounter in our life. Stillness of the night time, perhaps. Or stillness if you've ever been to a desert. You can sit there on the rock and sense the kind of stillness. Nothing's moving. Sometimes people may experience that in a church. You know, when it's empty, maybe. Or sometimes at night, when you're sitting in the kitchen... And suddenly the fridge that's been kind of humming all day stops. And there's that stillness. Have you all had that experience in the kitchen? (laughs) Or is it just my kitchen, my fridge? Fridges do that, right? They, They stop. They stop working for a bit. All that movement, that activity that they do stops for a bit and there's a... And sometimes we can get so pulled into the outer movement of our life 
the movements of what we're doing and achieving and where we're going and all of that, we can very often then be drawn to spiritual practice that speaks a little bit more about stillness. Right? It's, oh, great, when I get to Guy House, then there'll be stillness. Then there'll be stillness. Stillness, which gets equated with all of the movement coming to an end. Right? Because we think, we, we, we're kind of attracted to the movement, we kind of like the movement, but we kind of get tired with it as well. And we kind of, oh, heart longs for some stillness. We come to Guy House and perfect retreat, stillness and movement. Okay. Best of both worlds. Right? Or whatever it may be. And, okay, sit on the first morning. Okay, I'll do the sitting, but I'm hanging out for the movement. <coughs> hanging out for the movement. Stillness is fine, but we can feel that itch to move. And we get to move, and it's not that much movement, really, in the Qigong. <laughs> okay, I thought Qigong was kind of about moving, and okay, we move the cushions, and, and, the, and we kind of you know, pretended we were drunk for a bit, and, and that was fun, and then it stopped again, and we were still, and oh, okay, still again. And I think I spoke already about where that kind of movement between we're in the stillness and, well, at least our body's still, our mind may be completely not still and it's active, active, and we think the outer stillness is the problem, right? Just need to move, that will will do it. That will get everything moving again, I'm a bit stuck, and, and then we start moving, and then, oh, it's enough movement, let me go back to the stillness. We kind of don't necessarily make home in either. Until we've been here a few days and we realise that's it really, it's just this and this and okay, right, this is what I got to work with, right. Okay, so the movement's not that exciting, right, okay. And the stillness isn't that still. And at some point we kind of give up a little bit trying to get it just right. And we come to both forms and we need to learn how to make peace in both the outer forms because what we're really interested in is the peace, making peace with inner stillness and the inner movement. So, first I want to examine what the discomfort is with all this inner movement that goes on when we first start to sit. Right? Because we put our bodies still and we think, yeah... The Buddha talks about this is the path of peace. Okay, I'm ready. It's everything but. I thought this was the path of peace. And actually there's more movement than ever before. What is the non-peace there? And if we look closely in what we might start to get a glimpse of or start to see very deeply is that inner movement happens. When we're as an an organic life form, there's movement. Physical movement, there's the digestion, etc., etc. There's feelings that move, there's thoughts that move, sensations that I wish they would move, but they seem to be the same ones. But when we really pay attention, we see there's even movement there. And our discomfort with movement is actually that we think the movement is the problem. 
Anyone ever had that thought? If it wasn't for my busy mind, if it wasn't for my heart that feels too much, if it wasn't for my body that did all this stuff, then there would be peace. Then there would be stillness. When I can bring everything to a stop, when I can bring everything to an end, when it's like the fridge gets turned off again. And then we try our best the first couple of days, shouting out our mind, squeezing ourselves down, trying to kind of create some kind of stillness. We think the problem is in the movement. It's not. The problem is what we do with the movement. Movement happens. What happens is, because we don't see, when those movements happen, we always have a view about it. We either get really attracted to the movement, right? So let's say the movement is, suddenly my heart is moving with love. It's a kind of a, oh, I'm sitting in, standing in Qigong and open my eyes and suddenly I love everyone here. Not happy with leaving it at that. We cling to it. And we take it to be who I am. Oh, good, this is who I am. And then when next hour it's not the same, we feel like we've fallen off a pedestal. We feel like... It's all gone wrong. I've lost it all. We have taken it to be ourself. This movement which is actually organic and arising, we've taken it to be who I am. It's that, whoop, that's the problem. Not the movement. Not the movement of the love, nor the difficult states themselves. This is a very short little paragraph to say where the discomfort with inner movement is. This is a whole very, very big exploration. It's not something that I can just, you know, say a paragraph and we go, oh, that's right, I'll stop clinging to all the inner movement. Mm -hmm. Because if we could just do it like that, you'd have done it. I'd have told you that on Friday and we could have all gone home Saturday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Right? This is a this is a practice. It's a it's a practice, right? Because what happens is okay. No, so now I mustn't cling, and we try and do that. And there's more movement, and now it's the path of peace. So I'm searching for the peace, and there the movement gets kind of whoop kicked up again, and we're seeking, we're searching with that grasping mind for the peace. Now it's a slightly more refined object that we're greedy for. Right? But it's the same movement. We think there's, a, there's a, a sort of fundamental wrong view that something is missing. And that what it is, whether it's the mundane worldly things that I cling to, or whether it's the spiritual goals I'm clinging to, peace, tranquility, freedom, whatever it is you, you, you want, right? that we're, we get set off in motion. We start to search, and our search is based on a view that we haven't examined, and the view is that there's something missing. So, a little story, a long, long time ago, um, about 15 years ago, I had recently got married to my husband 
and we were staying somewhere in Harberton near here, in house sitting for someone, and had dinner and was washing up, and he was doing the washing up, and then the telephone rang. So I picked up the phone, and it was for him. So he came to pick up the phone, speak to whoever it was. And he was sitting there on the phone and chatting, and I went back to finish the washing up, and just about to pour out the water, and he said, wait, stop. Um, I think I've lost my, I think I've lost my wedding ring in the, the dishwater. Don't pour it out. And so he sat there, he was carrying on on the phone and finished the phone call because he's a little bit concerned. He hadn't been married long, didn't want to lose his wedding ring. And, uh, a little bit attached to his wedding ring, whatever it was. And, and he was there and he's going, I, I'm sure I had it on when I started. And he was, you know that thing when you've had a ring on, if you've ever worn a ring on your finger, and you take it off, you can feel that it's missing. Do you know that feeling? If you've ever taken rings off, you can... There's almost like a, a, a body sense that there's something missing that was there before. Right? Am I the only person that has that experience? <laughs> yeah, you, you know what that... Well, so those of you that have worn rings. So he's... And he was saying, yeah, yeah, I can... Um, and he was sort of fiddling with his finger, you know, and you can fiddle with it. It's like, oh, it's, it's gone, it's gone. Don't throw the water out. And we searched in the hot, washing up water and looked all around. Couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. He was getting worried and looking, you know, the search starts going. I'm looking, looking, looking. And I looked at him. I said, it's on the other finger. <laughs> and he was looking on this finger where there had never been a ring. There had never been a ring that fell off. And he said, but I swear I could feel that it was missing. It really felt like it was missing. And then when he realized, like, it's something, you know, too obvious. It's too obvious that we go searching. And there's a very good analogy there for the way that the search starts from this <laughs> fundamental wrong view. And we leave home, here and now, and start the search. Convinced, absolutely convinced. Because there's nothing here. I can't have the answer here because, because when I get a little bit still, right? So let's say we're in the sitting a couple, couple of days in and it does get a tiny bit still inside. We're not always at ease with that either. We think it's what we want. We think great stillness. And then our mind quietens down for a moment. It's like, uh-oh, what's wrong? Or something. So our dis-ease with stillness, what is that? What is that? can come in the outer when we feel like everything is really still in here, in the meditation hall. And I'm even a little bit attracted to it. A little bit. And then I want to do something to disrupt it. It's too still. Right? What happens there when we're uncomfortable with the outer stillness? <coughs> and then more importantly, with the stillness that will slowly start to come when we stop, as we stop fighting. As we stop looking for a better moment. The activity actually does start to slow down. We start to 
get a chance to see what's going on. So what's our discomfort with stillness, even though intuitively or instinctively we we kind of long for it on some level? Some level. What doesn't feel quite right when it's suddenly quiet inside? Or what happens, also people report, yeah, it's quiet for just a half a moment and then, whoop, back I was worrying about something. Can be a couple of things, and you may be able to add more to the list. But one is that in stillness, there appears to be a kind of absence. Right? Nothing much going on. And most of us have made our home and our definition and our knowing of ourselves when something's going on. Or something a little bit more bigger to pay attention to. Stillness, by definition, is quite still. It doesn't kind of call back to us and go, Hi! You know, it doesn't reference us in the way that we're used to being referenced. It doesn't appear at first to see us in the way we are used to being seen or or long to be seen. And then we get restless. We get restless. Read the notice board for the tenth time, really hoping there's a note for me. Why does everyone else get notes? Catherine puts up notes for this one. Why wasn't there one for me? Or whatever it might be, we're, we're moving. Some of the discomfort in stillness can be that there's, a, there's a, a fear that arises that what happens if my mind goes blank? Because we're so used to knowing ourselves through this kind of repetitive story, this sense of self has to actually keep telling itself its story uh, to keep going, actually. And the fear, actually, around the... the having a blank mind, can often be some kind of a memory of when we were little and sometimes our mind wasn't so full of thoughts. Right? Before it kind of... kind of... before the wheel cranked and off it went. And there may have been periods where our mind was quite blank and that would be fine until someone said... What's two times two? And you go... <laughs> blank. Blank. And they don't look very happy about it. And you're obviously, you know, not quite right. That there's a kind of a, a blank. And we can very much associate absence of activity in the mind with a kind of, oh my goodness me, what am I going to do if, you know... Someone asks me something, or maybe it will never start up again. Check it out, check it out. If, um, you know, when then we learn it's not okay to have nothing going on, got to have something going on. That's how all those big people recognize themselves, right? Okay. <laughs> 
forever. It's not like we're trying to regress to be a child. We're not in this practice. child doesn't have the faculty of awareness, has the faculty of awareness, but it doesn't recognize it. There isn't yet that capacity to first recognize (coughs) ourselves when we're very little and then recognize the awakened mind. Right? So this is a maturity, but there's an aspect there that we can see if it gets a little bit still. Okay, what happens if there's nothing much going on for a moment? Can I breathe with that? Can I rest? Can I deepen in the stillness? Because it's not like actually children have a much of a... Um, uh, what would be the word? Some kind of privileged position to stillness, right? They don't. Apart from, I mean, some children are more still than others, but in terms of recognizing it as a quality. There's another story when we were, uh, me and my newly married husband back then, we went to live in a a retreat center and there was one of the staff had a little girl who was three. And lovely, beautiful, delightful little child. And at that age, you know, when you're getting words and you're trying sentences out and you're exploring things, and her little phrase was, what's next? <laughs> what's next? Right. And it's, it's very delightful. It has a lot of energy. It has a lot of movement. And there's a curiosity and excitement about what the world can offer. All right. And we're not trying to make her a Dharma practitioner, luckily, hopefully. Right? And what next, what next? But because we were, were quite young zealots at the time, or, and just out, also out of interest, my husband was away at it. She was running around going, what's next, what's next? And he, she went up to him, what's next? And he said, what's now? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, nothing. <laughs> what's next? <laughs> when we have a little more maturity we can find out what kind of nothing what kind of nothing because at first nothing appears like nothing we haven't got any reference for nothing because it's nothing apparently And that's where the restlessness begins, that restlessness of the searching. Well, there's nothing here, so where do I go? We are very attracted to movement. We're very compelled by movement. And you can think of inner movement here. Right? It, it's, it, it moves, and precisely because it moves, it attracts our attention. <coughs> Things that move attract our attention. If you think of the metaphor of the fireworks display, November the 6th, 5th, 5th, right? Maybe you saw them as a child and 
at first, you know, those years, unless you're scared of them, of course, but at some point, you're there, and you're not really hanging out for the night sky. You're hanging out for the fireworks, because they're bright and colourful, and they're loud, and they flash, and you see them, and they wake you up, and you feel alive, and they do. And there are some amazing <coughs> fireworks these days. I went to another one after having got tired of fireworks. They've got even better. Right? Amazing fireworks. And we get attracted to the movement. Right? It's where our attention goes. It's drawn there. And so we bang, right? And that's it. And then the firework displays our burns. What's next? Right? What's next? And then somewhere, and this is a metaphor, but it's also in the inner, it's also a metaphor for the inner life. Somewhere along the line, I don't know, however old we are, if we can't get more and better, bigger firework display the next year, at some point we get tired of fireworks. So, oh yeah, Guy Fawkes night, right? I think I'll stay in. Yeah, lock the door. And there's a way that we can be what might be called a little world weary. A little world weary. <coughs> weary, we've kind of seen it all. No matter how good the fireworks are, how lovely that experience is. We know in and of itself, when we're drawn to it as the object, we don't find home. No matter how sublime, how exciting. But what we fail to see and perceive and value is what is it that allows that movement, the extraordinary movement of this life, outer or inner, to be seen? And if you think of the firework display, what is it that makes it extraordinary? If it were possible to only have a firework, which it isn't, it wouldn't be anything. What makes it magnificent is that we see it, it stands out from, across, within this vast, black, open, empty, unlimited night sky. And if we take that metaphor for our practice also, maybe we can learn to attune our attention to recognize that which isn't moving so quickly if we're interested to know the stillness within the movement that is not dependent on the fridge being quiet. There is a kind of stillness when the fridge gets quiet and all the activity slows down. There, that's a very definite kind of stillness. And actually from that kind of stillness we have often a more chance to really perceive reality as it is. 
and that's like a, a stepping stone. The stillness that is um, not dependent on the fridge being quiet and not dependent on the absence of sensation or feeling or thought. Getting a sensitivity and recognition for that in which all of this can be known. This And tonight I'm using the language of stillness, right? But this stillness that we can start to get a taste for, start to recognize is not deficient or barren, but is a place of incredible potency. Maybe even right now you might just sense into the silence in the room here. You don't have to do anything when I say sense in. Like, how do you sense in? Right? But it's here. You don't have to do anything. Can you hear it? Can you sense it? Can you know it? It's like this kind of very direct knowing. And out of this stillness, things arise like me and you, and it stands out in relief because of this extraordinary um, medium, (coughs) extraordinary, uh, apparent nothing, in which everything can be visible, (coughs) everything can be manifested. And if we want, if we're interested to know the stillness within movement. (coughs) We need to explore and give up (coughs) a little bit our fascination with the things that move. The fascination that that's where I'll find peace when I get the right firework. And at first we might feel a little bereft. We might think, oh my goodness, spiritual practice is saying I can't have all those beautiful things that arise in the world. You got a bad cough, Sue? Sorry. Have some water, and if you want, come back in.
sometimes then our disquiet with the stillness, even though again part of us is really drawn to it, is that my life will become barren. All that joy, all that, where's it going to go, right, if I become still? I want to read this piece from Ajahn Chah, one of the Thai forest masters. Each person has her own natural pace. Some of you will die at 50, some 65, and some at 90, he says cheerfully. So too, your practice will not be identical. Don't think or worry about this. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddhas. One of the other transitions into stillness is that we pass the threshold. We go through the threshold of not knowing. If any of you have noticed that. That when we're not referencing ourselves constantly through our thinking, there's a way we feel without references and it's like the territory is not known. Almost as if it's dark. And in a way, there's there's a very beautiful darkness the potent, like the night sky, the potency of that rich, beautiful, enveloping potency. (coughs) But to rest in not knowing is rare for many of us. To be able to just hang out in a moment, with not referencing myself back of where am I, but resting, getting a sense for it, trusting, feeling where we're drawn, and letting ourselves go deeper with that. And as we do, we'll find all the things that are in the way. That's fine. That's our that's our work. That's our part. No, but I don't like it. Or what will happen here? Perhaps some anxiety, perhaps some fear. So right in this moment, what is your relationship with 
the fact that it's pretty still in here. And if you let yourself breathe with it, like not expecting, okay, something's going to happen now, right? It's very natural. And you can say, but I don't see the stillness. And we can see ourselves still looking, so just notice that. And what's she talking about, stillness? Right? And maybe you can see that thought too, that movement to search, that movement to know. And that too, like another firework, whoosh, across the sky. And it ends, and that thought ceases. And we're still here. (coughs) And if you're not frozen, some of us have only known stillness where we've gone, right? It feels still, but it's not alive. It's not this, it doesn't have the same potency that can start to thaw, as Brad talked about last night. We can start to know a new stillness that's more alive. It's more alive. That asks us, and the, we only recognize it in a moment <coughs> when we're not taking hold of any of the fireworks. It's only possible to perceive it and know it directly when we're not trying to have one of these and not one of those. Right? There's no stillness in that. It's a condition that requires from us letting go of everything that is known. And that's why we're ambivalent. Right? Everything that's known, but can I take, you know? Can I take this part of me? Well, you can try. See what you notice. (coughs) And I think some of our fear in that is, oh my goodness, I'm going to dissolve in it or whatever, be wiped out or turn into a compost heap or reduced to nothing. I think my fantasy used to be, oh my goodness, if I'm not all this, if I'm not ultimately all this movement, then I'm going to be reduced to some kind of, I think there's images of compost would come to mind. As if when we're not identifying with movement, that the movement's going to stop. We can't, our ordinary mind really can't imagine not being identified with the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations, the ideas, the history, the images. (coughs) We think it's all going to stop, and we don't want to stop, because we're here. But just dipping our toes into the stillness, checking it out. Stepping into that land where we're not referencing everything by, am I doing it right? Is it okay? But we just feel our own call, the own, our own calling to that deepening in this aspect. There's a beautiful poem from T.S. Eliot. He says, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know that place for the first time. Through the unknown, 
remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning. (coughs) At the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness, between two waves of the sea, quick, now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness. Between two waves of the sea, quick, now, here, now, always. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And if you're sitting here wondering what on earth I'm talking about, don't try and figure it out. Let yourself remember what you're drawn to, what brought you here. And as this path unfolds, it doesn't normally unfold how we think it's going to unfold. And yet there's something in us that hears that whisper, perhaps a whisper, perhaps a call. Not necessarily literally, but but that knowing of what the possibility is for a human being. To not have to feel bound to identify with all the movement. But that call to rest, to deeply, deeply rest. And learning how to trust that And finding out that rather than being reduced to a compost, we find that our life is born new in each moment. We keep arising. It's the nature of things, it keeps arising. We keep arising. And what I'm speaking about isn't esoteric or unknown to you. It may not be realized by you yet, but it's not esoteric or complicated. And one of the ways on a very practical level we can kind of intuit the difference is that when we're in that very uh, self-referencing place of, you know, having to know and I know who I am and I know who you are and this is how the world goes, it doesn't feel alive. It doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't feel real anymore. It becomes two-dimensional. And this we 
sense on some level. Kind of things, they do actually feel a little dead. That we find ourselves being an organ of repetition in this world. Right? An organ of repeating the same things, even if those things might be uh, lovely things sometimes. There's a repetitiveness to it where we feel kind of a little bit like a mouse in a in a wheel. Hamster in a wheel. Right? And that when we drop that for a moment, and you, you will have noticed this here, you may not necessarily perceive or um, realize, recognize uh, all that can be realized, but you will see some of the fruit of when this sort of familiar repetitive sense of self isn't here, right? And it shows up in places like suddenly I notice myself show up in a really different way here. That's not on my map of who I think I am. You know, I'm outside and suddenly I feel such a sensitivity in my being. Whoa, that's not me. I'm a real tough guy. Right? Or we have an idea that we're really, 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 really sensitive only and we show up here full of real strength and commitment and determination and we've never seen that before in us. <coughs> or we perceive in a fresh way something that can very often happen as we start to slow down. We see something really mundane like broccoli and it's so green. Wow, we think we're in the back in the sixties on some. It's like wow, it's so green, right? And we're impressed by the vividness of form, of movement, of life, because we don't necessarily recognise how come. But as things start to slow down, they st- other things stand out. How do things stand out? Because that in which they are standing out through, from, within, completely contingent upon, is being more known. That stillness. Things stand out to us in the stillness. And there's something about that we like, even when it's something of our material that stands out, like pain. Like, let's say, uh, difficult pain in the heart. It stands out here and we think, oh my goodness, wow. I don't like things standing out. I'm a little bit ambivalent really about life. I thought I was into it, but actually it's really standing out here. It's standing out. It's allowing itself to be seen because there's enough conditions present that we can start to see it for what it is. And yes, it has a certain reality, but it's not ultimately who we are we can really see it vividly. And people often report that even though something is really (coughs) painful, there's something that kind of lifts or lightens us about seeing things really clearly. Right? What actually delights our heart is coming closer and closer to what is true. You don't have to believe that, but check it out. What really delights us 
is when we sense more and more truth, more and more congruency between the surface and the depth. We love that. We're drawn to that because it's what we are. Right? So not to overlook those moments where the blade of grass kind of stands out to you or someone's slippers, suddenly you're kind of staring at them. <laughs> Oops, didn't let anyone see me staring at those slippers. You know? We kind of get absorbed in something. Or we really want to look at someone. We're really curious. Like, I really just want to look at you. I want to see these other beings. Right? Something stands out because we do. Because we really do. So from Kalu Rinpoche, a very revered Tibetan teacher. This has got the whole, the whole teaching in it, so pay attention. <laughs> you live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. When you see that reality, you see that you are nothing, no thing, not nothing like, oh, you're nothing. You're no thing. There's no thing, there's no one thing that you are. You're no thing. And when that's, which expresses a lot of of space, a lot of movement, you see that you're everything. Anything can arise here. And that's another ambivalence about stillness. People mentioned today in the group, what? Actually, anything could arise here. I'm not sure I want anything to arise. But we sense the potency, we sense the power, actually, of what this extraordinary mystery is. And so, oh, anything could arise. It's still right now and it's okay, but anything could arise. Right? And the fear comes in. And there's a truth to that. Anything could arise. If we get a little bit more used to that, not knowing that, potent stillness it's true anything could arise there's a difference between anything could arise and anything could arise someone said in the group today from a very open and still place he said yeah and working with some things that were really difficult said yeah bring it on Bring it on with his hands open. Yeah. I want to see what there is to see. When we're tired of trying to control it. And we start to get a little bit more taste for when we don't have to control it. That actually it's all right. It's all right. Nothing bad's going to happen. And if we're not controlling it and spontaneously something comes out that we regret, we can say sorry. You know, it's okay. It's okay. We have the protection of precepts and the framework that supports this. <coughs> but anything can happen. Actually, that's kind of freedom. 
Anything can happen. There's movement. There's movement for anything to happen. In fact, it keeps happening. Have you noticed? Even though sometimes our call to stillness can be from that very, uh, very world-weary place that we haven't yet found the, the, <coughs> the, the meaning or beauty in anything else yet. But we're world-weary. And in that world-weary, we think we really do have to stop the world. I want to get off. You know that expression? Stop the world. I want to get off. Well... We don't have it, we can't really. Right? We just have to step on. Step on and find out. Because we keep still arising. The Buddha keeps arising. We get awake and we still arise. The Buddha awoke and he didn't say, right, well actually, he may have been a little tempted to say, okay, good, let's call it quits. Mm-hmm. Right? But he was drawn into movement. It's, it's a natural... Uh, Progression from when the understanding starts and deepens and and happens for us. And we keep arising. And I want to read this bit from Martha Graham, who was an American dance. She's called the like a founder of contemporary dance, this kind of beautiful expression. She says, There is Vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is or how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.